Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Santa H., and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater for today. Today is Monday, April 11, 2016. Today we are reading from the Big Book, and we are on page 51, beginning with the third paragraph, we ask ourselves. Today's readers are The Twelve Steps, Naomi B., The Twelve Traditions, Lisa B. And reading the literature today are Chelsea H., Esther C., and Christy M. And our newcomer greeter is Roberta F. And CID for Sunday, April 10th, our special edition meeting uh, speaker was Sharon R.S. entitled The Greatest Greatest Reservoir Power Known. And the CID number is 8642-8642. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Naomi B. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Santa. Can you hear me okay? I sure can. Okay, good. Thank you very much. Good morning, my family. This is Naomi B., a grateful recovered compulsive overeater outside Philadelphia. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, excuse me, the exact nature of our wrong. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we have harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continue to take personal inventory, and when we are wrong, promptly admit it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for our knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry it out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for allowing me to do service, and I pass. And thank you, Naomi B. 
I will now ask Lisa B. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Lisa B., a grateful recovering compulsive overeater in South Carolina. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, OA, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever, forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We, we need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for the opportunity of service, and I pass. And thank you, Lisa B. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions and the big book mean to us. To share, Press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 51. Beginning with the third paragraph, we asked ourselves, reading three paragraphs ending with, of course, it was and comments will be focused on the third paragraph only. I will now ask Chelsea H. to begin reading. Thank you, Santa. Thanks for your service. Good morning, my fellow travelers. Chelsea H., I'm a recovered compulsive eater for today. 
we ask ourselves this. Are not some of us just as biased and unreasonable about the realm of the spirit as were the ancients about the realm of the material? Even in the present century, American newspapers were afraid to print an account of the Wright brothers' first successful flight at Kitty Hawk. Had not all efforts at flight failed before? Did not Professor Langley's flying machine go to the bottom of the Potomac River? Was it not true that the best mathematical minds had proved man could never fly? Had not people said God had reserved this privilege to the birds? Only 30 years later, the conquest of the air was almost an old story, and airplane travel was in full swing. But in most fields, our generations has witnessed complete liberation of our thinking. Show any longshoreman a Sunday supplement describing a proposal to explore the moon by means of a rocket, and he will say, I bet they do it, maybe not so long either. Is not our age characterized by the ease with which we discard old ideas for new, by the complete readiness with which we throw away the theory or gadget which does not work for something new which does? We had to ask ourselves, why shouldn't we apply this to our human problems, the same readiness to change our point of view? We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. Was not a basic solution to these bedevilments more important than whether we should see newsreels of lunar flight? Of course it was. Okay, I'm still Chelsea. We covered just for today. So this information here speaks to me about how um, I don't need to spend a lot of time hand-wringing over um, whether or not I believe in God, whether I uh, do, and, and if I do, what it's going to be called, and all the, a host of other things that go along with, I've later found through living this process, comes with living the process. I'll learn, all that is revealed to me by the source greater than myself. But it's asking me here if I should not apply this willingness to the problems that I have in my life that I've created on my own um, power, trying to live under my own humanness. So with this willingness, this cornerstone that I need to put in place, plus whatever grace is, whatever the mystery is, will carry me across this chasm that I keep falling in, I keep falling in every time I try to come to the shore of faith so that I can live in a spiritual realm, I can't make it across myself. I'm stuck on the bridge of reason. I'm, I'm just mired there with my own logic and my own thinking and my own self trying to run the show myself, and it's not working out, and I won't accept that. But this information here confirms for me, the total unmanageability of my life, what it's come to, and that how having this spiritual malady, which I would find out it is, the only thing that will resolve it are the steps. And will I be willing? Will I just be willing? I don't even have to know anything or figure it all out. Just will I be willing to continue with the rest of the work? Do I have faith that if I continue with the rest of the work, Someone that is walking me through this process has had the experience. They're in front of me that this problem has been solved for them. Am I going to embrace that? And am I going to move forward with the rest of the work so that the power 
can do to me whatever it's going to do. No other human being has been able to solve this mystery. This whole thing of me going back to food to get ease and comfort when life doesn't go my way. So this information is saying to me that I have all these different problems going on. I've been trying to use food to solve it. It's been to no avail. Will I continue with the rest of the work? If I can say, yes, I'm willing to continue because I do believe that something can restore me to sanity in the, around these issues. And then I'll go and take action on my decision so that way it's not just fantasy. And I'm grateful for that because I still remain in a condition of uh, doubt. I do not know if there's um, God or not God, and it turns out it doesn't matter because I have learned over the um, time of doing this work and living the process and walking other people through that I am not God. And I cannot live on my own propulsion, and embracing that is wonderful. And I do have a relationship now with a power greater than myself, whom I choose not to call God, but I do have a relationship with power, and I'm grateful for that. Thanks for letting me share, and with that, I pass. And thank you, Chelsea H. And who would like to comment for approximately three minutes on the third paragraph that was read? This is Gail. Can you just tell me what page we're on? We are on page 52, Thank the you. second full paragraph. Lisa, this is Bella, can I share? Tina. Renata. Renata. I heard Bella. I heard Tina. I heard Renata. Kim G. Kim G. Lisa. You said Lisa? Uh, without the L, Lisa. Lisa. And what's the initial of your last name, Isa? <clears throat> Anyone else? Okay, I have Bella G, I have Tina, Renata G, Kim G, and Isa. Good morning, Bella. Good morning. Thank you very much. My name is Bella G, and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Santa, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Wow, such a powerful paragraph to change our point of view. Yes, I remember my first time when I came to the meeting and, you know, people were talking about God and God. You know, my point of view was one, please stop talking about God. I came here to lose the weight, to hear about a new diet, and that's it, and to move on. Thank you, God, that I, you know, even though my my point of view was different and I thought that God is nothing to do with my overweight, thank you, God, I continue to come to the meetings. And, yes, as I was doing the steps, as I was studying the, te- the, the steps, and, you know, yes, I had to change my point of view, that, yes, you know, as I was doing the steps and I, you know, the first step was, is, you know, to accept and admit that I am powerless. It was very hard for me to accept and admit that I am powerless. Okay, I am powerless with my food, but in other areas in my life, I have the power, you know, I can control and I had to change my point of view. As I was learning the the steps, and now that I am living the steps, 
Yes, I change my point of view. I accept and admit that I am powerless. I am connected to a loving power. And today I know I have the power to choose. To choose one day at a time, one minute at a time, one choice at a time. And yes, if I choose not the right choice and I did a mistake, it's okay. I accept and admit that I am powerless. I am human and I have the choice to learn new things. Thank you for letting me share and I pass. And thank you, Bella G. And good morning, Tina. Good morning, Santa. Thanks for your service. Tina S., uh, Compulsive Eater Anorexic in Florida. Well, I could really relate to this paragraph, you know, the, the bedevilments for sure, and I experienced each one of them, you know. Uh, trouble with personal relationships, couldn't control my emotional natures. I was prey to misery and depression, couldn't make a living, felt uselessness, full of fear and unhappy and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, today, uh, by God's grace and uh, the program of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and Overeaters Anonymous, I'm able to experience the opposite, which are the promises. Uh, and what a gift, what a gift. But, you know, I, and there was some work to be done. I had to do some things. You know, I, I had initially I had to exhaust all my attempts. You know, and uh, and I had to become willing to try something different. You know, and to experience. And my experience began to be proof that you know that there was a power greater than myself that could solve my problem, which my problem is a lack of power. And so when I have this power, I have an opportunity, opportunity one day at a time to live a life beyond my wildest dreams. And you know what I have to do today is to get up and be of maximum service and uh, to help others and and to to follow a food plan, all the, all the stuff that I do, you know, one day at a time, be on a meeting, you know, talk to sponsors, talk to my sponsor, all that, all that stuff that's, you know, the action behind all this stuff. So, you know, with that, I pass. There's some great stuff here. Thanks. And thank you, Tina S. Good morning, Renata G. Renata, if you're speaking, we don't hear you. Oh, sorry, I had double muted my phone. Uh, thank you for your service, Santa. Good morning, family. This is Renata G., Recovered Compulsive Reader in New York. Uh, what jumped out at me this morning <clears throat> was the end of that last paragraph we, uh, Chelsea read. It says, you know, it was not a basic solution of these bedevilments, more important than whether we should see newsreels of lunar flights? Of course it was. You know, I know for me as an addict, I'm very, very stubborn. And I don't like to be wrong. And I don't like to admit defeat. And so when I came to this program, I mean, this idea of entire abstinence and working self-death, I truly believe that, well, maybe you guys need that, but I don't. You know, I, I, I believe in God. I am, you know, I know how to eat, and now I have some support, and that's going to be enough. And, you know, it was enough in the beginning for a little bit, you know, the high of coming to the rooms and finding, you know, the love of the, the fellowship and identification and, you know, losing some weight because overall I was eating better, but it was not enough. It lasted a very short period of time. I was never free. And so, you know, this bedevilment had to be right on my face every single day. 
And the thing for me was, you know, when I used to eat, you know, those bedevilments would go away for a couple of hours or, you know, a few minutes, and then I would eat again when it came back. And, you know, but then it, I got to a point that, like it says on page 152, you know, I could not leave with or without the food. It was not working anymore. I was miserable all the time. I hated myself and I wanted to die. I did not want to live. And so I had to come to that point to really, you know, say, get off of my high horse and say, maybe these people are, you know, maybe they found something that can work for me too. Maybe my way, after all, doesn't work. You know, and so was it more important for me to be right and die in this disease? Or was it more important to, you know, surrender to the fact that whatever I tried did not work and follow the directions that were being presented to me in this big book? And uh, thank you, God, I took number two. You know, I followed the instructions, the directions. And today, you know, the biggest gift of this program is that I get to live life. You know, I have a new way of living that whenever problems come up, there's a way out and doesn't, does not involve food or hurting others. And I'm so grateful with that, I said, thanks. And thank you, Renata G. And good morning, Kim G. Good morning, my Jersey girl. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I am a Jersey girl also like Santa. Um, and... You know, I, when Monica read this on Friday, it, it, this is what really um, propelled me to step two. When I read these, these bedevilments that when I was having trouble with personal relationships when abstinent, couldn't I control my emotional nature when abstinent? Was I a prey to misery and depression when abstinent? Because, see, for many years, over years anonymous, I thought that food was my problem. So if food was really my problem, then that would mean the bedevilments would go away once I got abstinent. And my personal experience was that the bedevilments were much more on me when I was abstinent and I couldn't handle it. And the food was a darn good anesthetic. And just as Renata said, the food would actually take the bedevilments away. But you see, the problem is I have the twofold illness described in this book. And there is a difference between the freedom from the allergy not being triggered and the freedom from the mental obsession being removed. So the freedom from the allergy is once I get those, the withdrawal from whatever those substances are for me, you know, for a couple weeks, I feel better, work better, having a better time. You know, I'm starting to sleep better. My stomach's not bothering me. Suddenly I can understand what people are saying. And I think, wow, I'm cured. But then two, three, four weeks out, I'm, I'm miserable. I remember specifically a girl coming to me after being absent for three weeks, and she said to me, she's like, I feel like I'm going to blow my brains out. And I looked at her and I said, welcome to your disease. Welcome to what happens when you don't have your only solution you've used, and that is the food. My problem is for me personally, life just gets so loud. Everything, good, bad, and different is so loud. And the only way I know to quiet that is with the food. So what do I do with these bedevilments? What do I do if my only solution for these bedevilments is the food and the food is killing me? And that's where step two came in. If I cannot get comfortable in the food or comfortable out of the food, I'm going to need to have a power greater than myself. 
And I had to ask myself, because I would spend a lot of time in Overeaters Anonymous trying to feel better, make my emotions feel better, try to arrange my life so I would feel better. And when I read this to be devilments and I understood abstinence was not going to be the solution, I had to ask myself, do I just want to feel better or do I want to get better? And if I want to get better, I've come to the conclusion I'm powerless. And now I'm being asked, do I, am I coming to the conclusion, not that I believe in God, and not that I have a certain deity that I understand I'm going to whatever to, but do I need that power? And that need for a power is simply step two. And with that, I pass. And thank you, Kim G. Good morning, Issa. And if you can include the initial to your last name, please. Good morning. My name is Issa, and I am from Western Massachusetts, originally a Jersey girl. And I'm so happy to be on the call this morning. I actually am not around right now, but I am working down in New Jersey, so I'm on my way down. And I love hearing this paragraph, especially that last one. So, you know, when I first came into OA, and, you know, they have, like, those, on the on the website, they have like those 20 questions that's like, you might be a compulsive overeater if, you know, and then it has like 20 different things about food, and I could say yes to every single one of them. I was like, yes, 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 yes. And so, you know, I knew that I earned myself a seat in the rooms, and so I came, and it was all about the food when I first started. It was all about getting a sponsor, getting the food plan, getting to meetings, you know, working the tools, really. And that did work for me, like a lot of other people were saying. I, I lost a ton of weight. Um, it felt like, you know, just life had changed. But I really didn't work the steps at all. And what I found was not only was I miserable, but I couldn't keep the food down anymore. Like, I mean, I had learned so much about myself physically and emotionally. You know, I started to go to therapy and I started to do all these other things. But I was still so spiritually sick, and eventually I was in a relapse for about eight years and just kept putting on more and more weight. And I remember this feeling of being miserable, but the thought was, if I could just fit back into my size six pants, then all will be well. And that, you know, I, I, that really never happened. And so I moved to Western Mass, and I started going to some big book meetings, and they were really annoying at first. Like, it really, really bothered me, and I hated how happy the people were, and I thought they were all very fake. And um, and, and they were so, like, not thin, but, like, healthy and healthy bodies, and I just hated all of their guts. But I, something kept having me go to it. And when we got to the paragraph of the bedevilment, it was kind of like when I first heard about Overeaters Anonymous, and I was like, oh, my God, I could check off yes to every single one of these. And it made me you know, willing at that point, like it, it just kind of, you know, like they say denial is not just a river in Egypt, it made me wake up to realize that I was in a major relapse. Even if I could get a couple days of abstinence under my belt, even if I wasn't, you know, 300 pounds or actually my highest was 250 pounds, even if I wasn't at my highest anymore, I was so spiritually sick and I, I didn't want to be anymore. So I'm so grateful that this paragraph truly shook me awake and got me to, to really dive in and start working the steps as they're laid out in the big book. And, you know, right now I'm on my fifth step, so I'm still moving through it. But I can tell you I've had a lot of relief, um, a lot of pain still, too. You know, I'm still ex excavating and digging things out. But I'm still abstinent today, and it's been, you know, over three and a half years of back-to-back -back abstinence. So there's got to be some magic in there, right? Thank you so much for letting me share. Have a great day. 
And thank you, Isa. And before we move on to the next reader, would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Carol G. Lorena. Monica. Yes, there are. A.M. Okay, this is who I heard. I heard Melissa K. I heard Carol G, Larry K, Monica C, Nessa R, Leah M. Anyone else? Melissa C. Thank you. Suji. G, I thought I heard you too. Okay. All right. Okay, I have Carol G, Larry K, Monica C, Nessa R, Leah M, Melissa G, 2G, and we get started with Carol G. Good morning, Carol. Good morning, Santa. Good morning, Vision for You. Thank you. It's Carol G, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Welcome to your day. Um, this is a wonderful paragraph. Um, I haven't been able to make a life for myself that was satisfying. I just couldn't. Um, I haven't been able to make a life satisfying enough to keep me from going back to the food Yes, this really describes me when I'm sober, when I'm abstinent. The pain of my life in all these areas was so intolerable, I needed to go back to my painkiller. I had to get more food to, to just take away the pain of all these bedevilments. And I know we're still looking at step one here because the crossover into step two doesn't come until the opposing page. All I needed to see at this point was that my life run on self-will in these bedevilments was me on my effort, me on self-propulsion. I would start out the day with energy to propel myself forward into doing something and by lunchtime I would burn out, crash and burn. That was the lunar flight that I was taking and then the food would come back in to rescue me and what happens to me in my newsreels of Lunar Flight is that I'm in constant fantasy. I'm thinking about getting well. I'm thinking about doing the work, but I'm not actually doing the work. I did that for many, many years, and I did it also because I could just conjure up these images of where I was and where I was going to be. But instead of having a real experience um, with the pages, with the work, with someone else, I was doing it all inside me because... For me, this is what they're talking about. When we say in the rooms, I'm powerless over food and my life's unmanageable, my immediate reaction is to look outside. What's going on in my life? Oh, all these things that are happening to me on the outside, they must be the problem. But when I was alone and it was quiet and I was just sat with me, I could feel all these bedevilments so painful. I couldn't sit still with myself on my own because this was what's inside me. This is what's killing me from the inside out. So painful, I always had to go to the food. And soon, the program's going to free me from that, take away that pain. As long as I work the spiritual disciplines and follow the steps that are coming, I'm going to get freedom from that. I won't feel as if a tornado has just ripped me from the inside out. Oh, to thy will, not mine be done. Thank you, Anna Pass. And thank you, Carol G. Good morning, Larry Kay. Good morning, Santa. Thanks so much for your service. Oh, I've got a heavy heart this morning. You know, the power of God through this program is so um, incredibly um, amazing. Um, my family and I are going through a, a really difficult medical situation right now. But, you know, and, and I'm reminded that, you know, there's there's a simple reality that life is, is going to happen on, on life's terms, right? 
And, uh, and, and I don't get to choose whether the storm visits, when the storm visits, does it visit? Oh, it's going to visit. You know, either the storm is in your life right now, as it is for, for me and my family, or it may be on its way. But so too is our ability to transcend the storm with God's help through this program, for me anyway. And I can tell you this, the effect of the bedevilments um, and the bedevilments themselves kept me stuck in the quicksand for many years. And, and I would thrash about, you know, this way and that, um, waiting to be saved, waiting for one of you to pull me out of the quicksand, you know, waiting for the pixie dust to kind of, you know, kind of, you know, so maybe I can be sprinkled and, uh, and I'd be saved in that manner. But see, what I know about this paragraph and about step two is that it's, a, it's an affirmative process. You don't have to uh, accept a power greater than yourself in order to move on. You, you, just, you, you, you come to believe. That's what happened to me. I came to believe um, that a power greater than myself would restore me to sanity. It's as simple as that. You know, steps one, two, and three are not terribly difficult. Um, although, although I made them so, I made them difficult. They didn't need to be difficult. I just needed to get, use them as a springboard to admit what is my problem in step one? What is the solution to my problem, problem in step two? And how do I bring that solution to light? You know, get on after step three, get on with the, uh, with the action steps. It's uh, quite miraculous that I, you know, could be dealing with whatever I'm dealing with, which isn't, you know, is, is something that many people uh, deal with. You have your own challenges in your own, in your lives, and you deal with it. We're, we're how amazing! If it's not God, then I don't know what that allows us to deal with these different issues. Because before I'd have to bury my head in the uh, the Oreos. Anyways, with that, I'll pass. Thanks. And thank you, Larry Kay. And good morning, Monica T. Good morning, Santa. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. The bedevilments. You know, this paragraph is dev definitely defining to us, explaining to us, showing us, giving examples of unmanageability. You know, the second half of step, step one, that our lives had become unmanageable. But first I wanted to say, okay, so the big book has been taking us, we've come this far in the big book, you know, Step one, I'm powerless. I'm powerless over what? Number one, I'm powerless over the allergy. My body is powerless over this allergy, you know? Once you start, you can't stop eating. The second thing I'm powerless over is my mind, the obsession of my mind. Once you stop, you can't stay stopped. And I've learned these things here. And we're being told we need a power that's greater than us. And this paragraph, and this chapter has been saying, okay, Monica, you know, your way hasn't worked. How's that worked for you, Monica? Well, it wasn't working. Well, Monica, what are you willing to do? Are you willing to think outside of the box? Are you willing to look at things a little different? Are you willing to change something that can be a great improvement for you? There's a way out here. We have a solution. And the third thing I'm powerless over and this is what this paragraph points out to me, is my will, my trying to control. And what does my trying to control equal? Unmanageability. You know, that second half of, of step one, that our lives have become unmanageable. 
I would have argued with you about that. My life wasn't unmanageable. The only thing that was unmanageable in my life was my food. But when I read this paragraph and the way I was told to read it, making it personal to me, it was like, oh, my God. So I can't even trust my own will. You know, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. I can't even trust my own will. Wow. I am so screwed, so powerless. So he's hammering it home to us again, just how powerless we are. Three different ways. All right, Monica, you're powerless. Are you, you know, are you ready here to think outside the box and maybe there's a power greater than you that can help you here? Can you come to that conclusion? All right, I've come to the conclusion I'm really screwed here. Now, can you come to the conclusion you need a power greater than you? And this is hammering it home. And these bedevilments are what my life is like if I'm not working the steps. And with that, I pass. And thank you, Monica T. Good morning, Nessa R. Hi, good morning, Santa. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Nessa R. And I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Uh, uh, so many things I wanted to say have already been said in a much more eloquent, beautiful way than I could possibly say it. Um, so these bedevilments are um, showing me that whatever I'm doing is not working. Um, not only with the food, but with everything in my life, um, trying to control people, places, things, and situations um, in the selfish pursuit of my own happiness. Nothing, nothing is working. It doesn't really matter if I'm in the food, um, indulging in my full-blown disease, or if I have managed to put the food down. You know, the more I exert myself to control whatever it is, control my food, control my family, control others, uh, the worse these bedevilments get. Um, and, you know, this is just shows me that these bedevilments are of my own making. My troubles, all my troubles, are of my own making. They, they are caused by my own selfishness. You know, even wanting to put down the food um, is based on selfishness. You know, everything is based on selfishness, um, driven by the false beliefs that, you know, if only I was saying I'd be happy. If only other people did what I think they should be doing, I would be happy and they would be happy. And that's why they arise out of myself. And the more I try to put things into place, the worse the things get and the worse these bedevilments um, uh, beset me. I have no escape from them out of my own means. And so if what I'm doing is not working, I need to try something else. I've tried all the human power um, that I can think of to, to solve all these problems of mine and nothing works. So I have to find a solution and a solution to these bedevilments is what I have today by the grace of God through the work of this step because that solution is God. But the only way I can I avail myself of that solution is number one, realize what the real solution is, God, and in step two, and two, do anything and everything I can to unblock myself from that power, which is the rest of the step. That's what I have done, and these bedevilments are not an issue in my life today for the most part, and with that I pass. Thank you. And thank you, Nessa R. 
Good morning, Leah M. Thanks so much, Santa. We had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view. You know, as they're pointing out in the previous paragraphs, the 20th century is full of that kind of willingness, that enthusiasm to change. You know, we're always willing to try something different. You know, all all that has to be announced is that there's a new iPhone out and the lines start to build up, you know, without even knowledge of what the uh, – you know, upgrades or, you know, the the improvements are on that phone, we're willing to believe, you know, in, in something new is going to be better, something different is going to improve our lives. So are we willing to believe that in ourselves we can be restored to sanity, relieved of the obsession, the problem can be move, removed, it'll be driven out if we simply do a few simple steps? You know, that that is the crux here is are we willing to change? You know, when I got here, I was no vision for you. And, you know, it was it was very clear that I had more than just a, quote-unquote, drinking problem, more than just a compulsive overeating problem. I had a living problem because I had the experience of having periods of abstinence before um, that were extremely painful. Um, and, and hence diving back into the cellophane bags and the bakery boxes for relief to be medicated, to be anesthetized, to create a buffer between me and life. You know, for a long time, I believed food and weight were my problem. But food and weight were not my problem. Food and weight are symptoms of a much deeper problem. And as you'll note in this paragraph, it's written in the past tense, we were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. This is written by people in whom the problem had been solved. This is a, a description of life before God consciousness. The promises, of course, that you find on the bottom of page 83 are a description of life after God consciousness, after being uh, acquainted and building a relationship with a higher power, when I accepted the possibility that there was another way, and I saw those results in people whom, in whom the problem had been solved, they had recovered, then I permitted my mind to experience a change. It was a message of hope and possibility. I didn't have to carry this burden of over, overcoming my illness by myself. Because the text taught me and people taught me that when my spiritual malady was going to be overcome, I would straighten out mentally and physically. And by reestablishing my right relationship with a higher power, which would be introduced to me as I proceeded through the steps, I was going to be restored to sanity and recreated. And that was a message of depth and weight. And with that, I pass. Thanks. And thank you, Leah M. And good morning, Melissa C. Hi, good morning, Sansa. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, when I'm listening and reading to these bedevilments, um, you know, the first thing that kind of strikes me is, um, yeah, how true that was in my life and how grateful I am that that's how true it was for my life because when the suffering became so great, there was nothing left for me to do but change, you know. And for so long, um, I had pieces of the bedevilment. And um, and so I could always say, well, this is 
still okay in my life. And this is still okay in my life. And um, and whenever I would feel the discomfort of these bedevilments, those were the reasons I ate. So for someone who was not a compulsive overeater, they would say, well, my God, look what the food is doing to you. You know, you're killing yourself. Stop it. Um, And so my response was the exact opposite. Life around me was unbearable and painful, and the only thing I could think of doing was more of the same. You know, and and the bedevilment to me, um, I think about myself, I, I was drowning, and and insisting that I keep my hands free so that I could do the insufficient, you know, strokes that I barely knew, but I made my hands free. And, you know, recovery, my higher power was, was life preserver thrown at me. And and it was when I stopped paddling and stopped insisting I needed my hands to do it my own way, and I grabbed hold with no condition. You know, that's what it took for me. I had to grab hold of the solution without making any conditions for the thing that was going to rescue me. And um, and that's what happened. And so, you know, I'm my life is exactly the same, you know, besides weight. <laughs> um, if someone were to look, I have the same husband, I have the same house, I have the same siblings, I have the same children, I have the same job, same friends. And yet, everything is different. And what is it that's different um, if I have a higher power in my life? Thank you. With that, I'll pass. And thank you, Melissa C. And next, we have Sue G. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Are we not on paragraph three on page 52, or were we on the hangover as the first paragraph? I thought we were on when we saw others. We had the second paragraph. We had asked ourselves. Okay. I'll come back for the third paragraph. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Well, we will move on to the next paragraph, and I will now ask Esther C. if you would please read the next two paragraphs. That begins with, when we saw others, please. Good morning. Thank you, Santa H., for your service. My name is Esther C., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Canada. When we saw others solve their problems by a simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, we had to stop doubting the power of God. Our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. The Wright brothers' almost childish faith that they could build a machine which would fly was the mainspring of their accomplishment. Without that, nothing could have happened. We agnostics and atheists were sticking to the idea that self-sufficiency would solve our problems. When others showed us that God's sufficiency worked with them, we began to feel like those who insisted the rights would never fly. So <laughs> the in this chapter, we agnostic, the authors are working very, very hard. They've dedicated this chapter to, the, to help those of us who come into the 12-step rooms as atheists or agnostics. Um, at the beginning of the chapter, it basically gave us the what I like to call the step two ultimatum, you know, on page 44. Either I'm going to be doomed to a compulsive overeater's death or I'm going to live on a spiritual basis. And I needed a power greater than myself who would solve my problem with food, not help me solve my problem, but solve my food problem. And in order to come to that conclusion in step two, that only a power greater than myself could solve my problem, I, number one, needed to to 
to have a, um, a higher power, to be willing to believe in a higher power. And I also needed to believe that this higher power could solve my problem. So the big book here in this chapter is trying to help us come to this conclusion. It re- it's reminding me, um, first of all, that this is a couple of page ago, pages ago, that you know, we make use of many ideas that we don't really understand, but that they work for us, as was previously mentioned with, with iPhones. If we look at all the people who are helped by belief in a higher power, so even though we don't understand it, even though we don't like it, we could still make use of that idea. And number two, as it's, we had just read in the bedevilments, um, we were we were miserable. At least I know my life was miserable. Whatever I did wasn't working. So maybe I should be open to a new idea, as the as a again as I mentioned that the early explorers and inventors were. Maybe if I'm open to new ideas, I'll be able to solve my food problem. Now, while I did have a higher power when I came into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, I had to open up my mind to the idea that this higher power would would um, somehow be connected in any way to my food problem. You know, I grew up in the shadow of of family members who, you know, came to this country and built themselves up, you know, with hard work and perseverance and self-sufficiency. And so for 20 years I tried solving my problems, all of my problems, but especially my food problem with those very same things, with hard work, with perseverance, with self-sufficiency. But my way wasn't working. My way didn't work. And all those bedevilments we just read um you know, were a good description of what my life was like when I did things my way. And then I met people who solved the problem the God way. So I also opened my mind up to the God idea. Um, I didn't change history for all humanity, perhaps in the way the Wright brothers did, but I could tell you that in solving my food problem, I changed history for me and for everybody whose life I touch. And I just want to end by saying that, you know, living life is a covered individual you know, it, you know, I'm I'm subject to life, and with all its challenges and and new circumstances, I find myself in that I I still continue to have to stretch my mind around the God idea. Um, you know, as new circumstances appear in my life, I I need to expand my God idea to include all those new challenges as well. Um, and that the answer is never in self sufficiency. Self sufficiency is always in God. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. And thank you, Esther C. We do have time for two shares. I have Sue G as the first one. Who else would like to share? One Jew. more person. Sue G. Sue. Oh, okay. Sue G. Michelle from Baltimore. Uh, Michelle, I, I'll put your name down, but I don't think we'll have time. Sue, are you there? Yeah. This is Boo. <laughs> yeah, I have you. I have you, do L. But oh, okay. all right, all right, great. I have you. Sue G. Are you are you available? Yes, I am. Okay, go right ahead, please. Hi. Thanks for coming into soon. Sometimes I get confused about when they count paragraphs. Um, I'm an indentation counter. <laughs> anyway, this is Suji from Michigan. Um, when I came into meetings, it seemed like the ones that had the most success, the ones that had the most joy were the ones that had the simple faith and the power of God. And... Um, I wondered why my faith wasn't working. And it's because of that self-sufficiency. Uh, even though God was, uh, my creator God was, was my was my God, I, I didn't, as I said before, I did not rely on it. I did not 
um, I, I went to him for a lot of things, but I didn't stay around for the answers. I didn't stay around for the help. I just kept on saying, help me, help me, help me. And I didn't listen. And that's making all the difference in the world this time. Because now I'm listening to what he has to say to me um, through meditation. Of uh, You know, I mean, for us, to, for us to believe in the Wright brothers back then, um, before we actually saw it, and then they still didn't want to print it. I mean... They had childish faith, and that's all we're asked to have is childish faith. It'll mature, but we have to start with childish faith. Um, like when we jump off the edge of a pool and we expect our daddy to, to catch us. That's simple faith. Or maybe that's more, more simple. But as we grow up, we learn to to believe more deeply, more, suffic- more sufficiently where it's more effective. Um, And I'm making a mess of this. (laughs) I'm going to pass. Thank you. And thank you, Sue G. And good morning, Du L. Good morning. This is Du L, Recover Compulsive Overeater. And I'm sorry for that, Santa. Just sometimes they confuse me with Sue or (laughs) Du. So anyways, um, I just wanted to mention, um, I, I really, this paragraph really resonates with me because being a formal uh, agnostic and atheist, I, I was that way, you know. I mean, I was brittle with antagonism at the word God. Don't mention God to me. Don't say God to me. I don't want to believe in God. I don't want, I don't need God. I can do this just by reading this book. And, you know, uh, I spent many years in program um, just doing that, just reading the book. (laughs) And there was nothing that was um, a fruition of that in my life. I I was not getting the relief of the recovery in my life because I was still self-sufficient. I was insisting like the Wright brothers that, you know, um, that flight was not possible. You know, that God was not possible, that God would not work in my life, that especially, especially a personal God to me, you know, and, um, you know, and, and what happened is that I saw that others were recovering and that others had solved their problems and I wanted what they, they, they had. And they said, this is simple. You don't have to complicate God. God is good orderly direction. God can also be the principles. If God is love, God is wisdom, God is justice, God is righteousness, God is honesty, God is all of these things, then if you practice these principles, you're practicing God. Whether you want to admit the word God or not, you will be practicing God. And it was that simple for me. You know, it was about practicing the principles. It was about you know, doing this, and that's why it can work for anyone, anywhere, at any time, because anytime we practice these principles, we're in essence practicing God. You know, it's that good orderly direction that leads us to salvation. But when I'm in self-sufficiency, which is the content, the close-mindedness, the unwillingness to proceed, the um, prejudice that I have, um, all of these things, the resentment, the fear, all of these things block me from recovery. So 
you know, they're saying, why not change the self-sufficiency for God's sufficiency? What is God's sufficiency? A simple faith, a confidence that this power will work for you. And that's what faith is to me, is, is the confidence, is the reliance and trust that something else outside of me can work for me and can produce results that I can't bring about myself. And thank God for that. You know, thank God that I see that today and that I've been able to recover, stayed recover, because I decided in my heart of hearts, not in my mind, because my mind is faulty, but in my heart that I was going to pursue this way. And it has worked, and it continues to work for many others. And with that, I pass. And thank you, Duel. Unfortunately, Michelle L., we are out of time, but if you would please join us for the second unrecorded hour, we'd love to hear your share. And thank you to everyone who has shared. And please join us for the second unrecorded hour of studying immediately following closing. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Christy M. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes, Christy M. gratefully recovered this morning. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is so sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.